Well, grab your Bible, turn with me to Luke chapter 11, and we're going to continue on in our study of Gospel of Luke and what um, the Luke wants us to know and understand about the Lord Jesus and about our own lives. And so this is what I want to speak to this morning. I, I want to just touch on the one who is blessed. We all want to be blessed by God. And a lot of times when we think about what it means to be blessed by God, we're thinking at it from the standpoint of monetary things or some sort of provision from the Lord that he would give us certain things that if we're blessed, we have uh, more money than we had before, or we have a bigger house or a bigger car or a new boat. Or th- That's a lot of times what we think about when it means to be blessed. I want you to look at it from a biblical perspective, and to be blessed by the Lord means his presence is in your life and his power is in your life. So let me talk about for a little bit this morning about the one who is blessed. And as we get started, I want you to just kind of think through a scenario with me, a little uh, picture of a a, a young boy and his grandpa. This young boy lived on a mountainside with his grandfather in the Swiss Alps. I mean, can you get a more beautiful place in the world than that? And it truly was a beautiful, exquisite uh, place with all of the deep ravines and the cascading rock faces that would be there. Uh, that terrain, because of those characteristics, uh, made for a beautiful and natural amphitheater. And so this young boy, living with his grandfather, used to love to go outside and cup his hands and shout, Hello! And as you know, if you're in that sort of setting, what comes back? The echo. And it's, Hello! 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 And it kind of fades away. And he would follow that with, I love you! And it would come back, I love you! I love you! I love you! I love you! Well, this young boy was just like all young boys. He's sometimes good, most of the time good, but sometimes not so good. And so he really got in trouble one day by his grandfather. I'm not sure what he did, but just serious misbehavior followed with significant discipline. And so the young boy, uh, not too happy with his grandfather, ran out of the house into the yard there in that beautiful setting on the mountainside. And he said, I hate you. Immediately came back to him. I hate you. I hate you. I hate you. I hate you. He was stunned by that. That, that, that phrase of someone actually hating him. And so you hear this story and you hear what's going on here and this reverberating echo that the boy is receiving back reminds us that in our families and for life, in life for that matter, we get back in direct proportion to what we give. Here's a young boy that says, hello, and it comes back, hello, I love you, and back comes, I love you, I hate you, and back comes, I hate you. And that's what happens in life. We get back what we put into it. This is one of the immutable laws of physical nature. It's one of the immutable laws of human nature. And so this echo mirrors our actions to an emphatic degree, sometimes even greater measure than we would give. Sometimes it can be embarrassingly tragic what comes back from what we have put in. Let me illustrate a little bit further what I mean. Uh, this morning, I'm favoring my right arm because I've had shoulder surgery. Before any of you well-meaning, loving church members want to fuss at me for not having my brace on, like some of you did at lunch last Sunday, I've got permission from my doctor this week that I can take it off. But he also said, once the car leaves the lot, I'm no longer in charge. So I guess that means you do what you want, but you're going to be a moron and hurt yourself. But, you know, for the sake of being able to preach without any sort of encumbrance on my stomach this morning with this sling, I'm going to try to preach again without it. So uh, last week I talked about this, and 
obviously you knew I had surgery. And so when you think about this surgery that I've had, uh, it has inhibited me from doing a lot of things. Prior to surgery, I was used to working out and lifting weights five days a week. I mean, it's just a regiment. It's how I live my life. It's, it's, it's my outlet. It's something I enjoy doing and I have enjoyed for, for many, many years. But now I have no ability to do that. In fact, you could say that not only have I been inhibited from lifting weights, it is just flat not going to happen for a while, at least on my left side. And so right now, if you were to come up here and jar my shoulder or grab my arm and yank it, I would be in severe pain, and then hopefully one of my other brothers in here would come to my rescue and knock you out, because that would hurt like crazy. So I've got a lot of stiffness, I've got a lot of soreness in it, I'm doing my exercises, it hurts like crazy, but they tell me, as many of you who have had surgeries, and definitely shoulder surgery, if you'll put the work in, you'll get the desired outcome. And so what I'm committed to do is putting the work in. I'm doing my exercises, I'm going to physical therapy. Why? Because the goal for me is not just to get back where I was because I was not in a good position. That's the reason to have surgery. I want to get back to be bigger, better, and stronger than I've ever been. How do I get there? I've got to put the work in so that the return on my investment is what I want it to be. You see, you will never receive back, or you will always receive back, I should say, in direct proportion to the work you put into whatever it is in life. And this principle applies not just to the physical world, not just to the, the, to the world of, uh, of rehabbing a shoulder. It works in the area of our spiritual lives as well. Here's what the Apostle Paul told the church at Philippi. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. What is Apostle Paul calling the church at Philippi to do? He's calling them to work out the salvation, work out the life of Christ that has been put in them so that they can become all that God wants them to be. Let that life of Christ not just dwell in you, but, but put it to work, to, to exercise it. Because when you exercise it, you make it grow. You make it become all that it wants and all that it needs to be. So this morning, through the verses we're going to look at, I'm, I'm going to show you that the way a person responds to Jesus and the way a person responds to his word will determine one's ultimate spiritual condition. So Luke chapter 11, let's begin reading in verse 27. Luke says this, <clears throat> as he, obviously that's Jesus, as he said these things, a woman in the crowd raised her voice and said to him, blessed is the womb that bore you and the breast at which you nurse. But he said, blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and keep it. When the crowds were increasing, he began to say, this generation is an evil generation. It seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of Jonah. For as Jonah became a sign to the people of Nineveh, so will the Son of Man be to this generation. The Queen of the South will rise up at the judgment with the men of this generation and condemn them. For she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And behold, something greater than Solomon is here. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And behold, something greater than Jonah is here. No one, after lighting a lamp, puts it in a cellar or under a basket, but on a stand, so that those who enter may see the light. Your eye is the lamp of your body. When your eye is healthy, your whole body is full of light. But when it is bad, 
your body is full of darkness. Therefore, be careful lest the light in you be darkness. If then your whole body is full of light, having no part dark, it will be wholly bright as when a lamp with its rays gives you light. And so this morning we are looking at a lengthy piece of scripture and a little bit of a difficult text to look at. And so let's just kind of break it down. First of all, we see here in verse 27 that uh, Jesus is continuing uh, a conversation, a, a preaching opportunity, a, a teaching opportunity uh, carried over from what we looked at last Sunday. And so what's happening here, as, as Jesus has been teaching, as he's been pointing out uh, what, what it looks like and what it means like when, when, when God enters a person's life and changes a person's life and, and really all of these things that we've seen, this woman or a woman hears all of it and she gets a little happy in Jesus and amens him. Right? She just kind of amens him when she says, Blessed is the womb that bore you and the breast at which you nurse. She's amening. She's affirming what Jesus has been saying. She's happy in Jesus. Amen? Jesus understands the magnitude of what this woman is saying, but I don't think the woman actually connected it. But Jesus understands that as this woman says, blessed is the womb that bore you, she's actually affirming what Mary, Jesus' mother, said in what we call the Magnificat there in Luke chapter 1, where she talks about how she's been blessed of God. And so Jesus understands that, but the woman perhaps doesn't. Mother of Jesus was truly the most blessed of Women And so Jesus hears this, and he does not reprove her for this statement, but he actually takes it a step further and improves what she is saying. So as we read this, we need to understand that there is no hint whatsoever of the Roman Catholic idea of the veneration of Mary here in this statement. I mean, think about it. If there ever were an opportunity for Jesus to affirm that teaching, affirm that doctrine, it would be right here. All he would have to say is, Amen to that. Blessed is the womb that bore me and the breast at which I nurse. That would be an affirmation of this teaching that we know as the veneration of Mary. And yet what Jesus does here is he turns the woman's attention away and not just her attention. He turns our attention away from Mary. And where does he turn it? He puts it on the word of God. He puts it on the teaching of the word of God and what the Lord wants us to hear from his word and obey in our lives. So Jesus focuses his attention then on the crowd who continued to seek a sign just like they had been seeking a sign. They wanted Jesus to prove his divinity. Remember what we saw last week is there were some people in this crowd who looked at Jesus and says, the only way he's able to cast these demons out is through the power of the demon himself. Through Beelzebul, he casts out Beelzebul. So there was that portion of the crowd. The others would say, we're not going to go to that extent. We don't believe in Jesus, but we might believe on Jesus. We just need a greater sign. We need to see something dramatic. We need to see something miraculous, and then we'll believe. So Jesus looks at this portion of the crowd and says to them that they are an evil generation who seek a sign. They want the sign of Jonah. And then he also uses another word picture, and he says there's also those who, like the queen of Sheba, are seeking 
knowledge. So he uses these two events here, the preaching of Jonah and the wisdom of Solomon that queen, the queen of the south sought to show us what it means to seek after the Lord. So who were these two people? What were these two events? Well, if you're reading through the Bible with us this year and you're on track, then this morning you would have read the book of Jonah. I think it's just incredible how many times when we're what we're looking at either in small group or what we're looking at here in our worship services connects with our daily devotion what, what we're reading through scripture and so this morning i read the four chapters contained in the book of jonah what is this story about well jonah was the prophet of god who was called by god to go to the assyrian capital city and to preach judgment against it Well, Jonah wanted nothing to do with that, and so he, instead of heading northeast to where he needed to be to go to Nineveh, he goes a little southwest to the the port city of Joppa, jumps on a ship that's going to take him to the furthest place in the known world on the other side of the Mediterranean Sea to a city called Tarshish, and that's his attempt to get outside and away from the will of God for his life. Well, God is the creator of the heavens and the earth, the creator of the land and the sea, as Jonah knew and as Jonah preached, sent a storm after him. And this storm was to get his attention, to get him to return to the will of God, and ultimately, Jonah was going to have nothing to do with it. So he says to this, his merchants, his, I should say his sailors that he's with, throw me overboard and you'll be safe. So they deliberated, they reluctantly threw him overboard, and the seas went calm. But what happened to Jonah is he's swallowed by a great fish. And so for three days, Jonah's in the belly of this fish. This is almost like his own tomb where God uses his time, uses his experience to get his attention and at least mildly modify his heart. So he comes to his senses, at least to an extent, and he repents, at least to an extent. He's vomited up on the seashore, and he goes to Nineveh, and he preaches judgment, but he doesn't do it with a full heart. That's the story of Jonah. The queen of the south is probably the queen of Sheba. We see that in 1 Kings chapter 10, 2 Chronicles chapter 9. This queen from far away in her own land of Sheba, which would be today southern Arabia, it would be modern Yemen, had heard of the fame of Solomon concerning the name of the Lord. And as she heard everything about Solomon, everything about his kingdom, everything about the God of Israel, it was absolutely too much for her to believe, and yet she's intrigued. So at great expense to herself financially, great expense to herself in, in the sense of security, she makes the long trek north to meet Solomon and to see all the riches, all the goodness, all the blessing of God upon Israel and his king. And in the end of it all, she believes because what she has heard is true. She believes the word of God about King Solomon and the kingdom of Israel. So we see here the people of Nineveh that Jonah's preaching at, they also had heard something. So when Jonah came to their city and they saw Jonah because of, I mean, if you spend three days in the belly of a fish, it's probably going to affect your skin. It's going to affect your smell, obviously. And so they hear this, they see this, they experience this, and they are warned against the judgment Jonah's preaching. And what do they do? They repent before the Lord. They believe the prophet's message. This queen heard the wisdom of Solomon and believed the word that she had heard about the king and the people of God. Jesus here uses these two historical accounts 
to point to a greater reality. You see, the greater reality is that standing before them is someone who is greater than Solomon. Who is Solomon to the people of Israel? you got to remember, here are the people in the nation of Israel who still have the temple to worship at. One of the beautiful, most beautiful sites and one of the most beautiful buildings in all of history stood there in the city of Jerusalem. Now, it had been rebuilt, so it was not Solomon's temple, but it was greater than Solomon's temple. So when we think about the kingdom of Solomon and his leadership there, they would have had great just respect for him, great marvel over his leadership and his commitment to the Lord. And yet standing before them was someone who was greater than Solomon. As they stood there before Jesus, they also were reminded that though Jonah was a great preacher who led a great spiritual awakening in a major city and one of the most powerful nations on the face of the earth in that time, someone greater than Jonah is standing before them. That's the point Jesus is making. So Jesus wanted the people in this crowd, and he wants you and I today to understand how one can be blessed by the Lord. I want to share with you four things this morning about the one who is blessed. Here's the first thing I want you to see. The one who is blessed hears the word of God. Hears the word of God. Look at verse 28. Jesus says, blessed rather are those who hear the word of God. Have you ever thought about why there's such a strong emphasis in the Bible about hearing the word of God? Why is that such a emphasis? Why is that such a, 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 a point to make throughout the Word of God? It doesn't matter what book of the Bible you're reading. It's always going to call us and draw us and lead us back to hearing the Word that God has spoken. Why is that so? I believe it's because knowledge. God wants His people, God wants His creation to have knowledge. It's vital that we know things about the world in which we live. Right? Don't you like to know things? I mean, sometimes we watch certain stations on TV or we will watch something on YouTube because we just want to know something about something. Uh, yesterday, I spent some time watching uh, a couple of YouTube, um, I don't know what you call them, broadcasts or sh- they're not really shows, just some clips about how to, and this is not going to jive with some of you, but how to fine-tune the graphs that are on my boat. I, because I've been struggling trying to find and make sure that my graphs are doing exactly what I want them to do. So I, I watched some uh, tutorials. That's kind of the word I'm looking for. I looked at Then I went out to the garage, and yeah, baby, it works. When you start putting in the knowledge that you've learned, you put it to use. Here's a funny thing. Yesterday we are, uh, you know, Mother's Day's today. I got a beautiful wife, three children, and she does a phenomenal job. So I was wanting to honor her yesterday as a mom by buying her a brand new graph for our boat. <laughs> and she said no to that. Um, rather have flowers and a card. I'm thinking, flowers and card? Why would you want that? Went all the way over to short pump area to, to bless her with that, and she said no. Need to help my wife. But we want knowledge, right? Thomas Edison said this. Thomas Edison, you know, is the guy who created the incandescent flight bulb. He created the phonograph. He created the motion picture camera. He said this, and I quote, we don't know one millionth of one percent about anything, end of quote. Now, Thomas Edison died in 1931. Have we discovered a few things since then? One or two. 
But I don't think the percentage has jumped that much since 1931. There's a lot of things to know in this world. So God gives us knowledge, and that comes through hearing his word. For instance, what happens in the Garden of Eden? God creates Adam, and he begins to speak to him. God begins to tell him certain things. Everything that's here in the garden is for you. It's for your pleasure. It's for your good. Take it, eat it, enjoy. Right? What else does he say? It's all yours, but don't eat of that tree. Why would God say that? Because God in his goodness and God in his grace wants his people to have knowledge about this world, knowledge about how to live life. And so God graciously gives Adam certain knowledge because he needs to know what is good for him. He also needs to know what is bad for him. Because if he didn't tell him the bad things, then there's a chance that Adam, in ignorance, would go over to the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, take of it and eat, and what would happen? Everything that God told him what would happen, but he wouldn't have known that if God hadn't told him. So God gives us knowledge. He gives us this knowledge through his word because he wants us to know things about this world for our own good, for our own benefit in life. This knowledge that God gave through his word was a blessing to Adam. It told him what was good. It told him what was bad. It described provision. It warned of destruction. And so today, as we contemplate how determinative a person's response to Jesus is, here's what I want us to see. I want us to see that the one who is blessed hears the word of God. You need to hear the word of God in your life. Why? Because it tells you what you need to know. It explains who God is. And it explains his demands over his creation. And that hearing of God's word will determine our ultimate spiritual condition. But there's a second facet to this. The one who is blessed hears, but also the one who, he, who is blessed obeys the word of God. Again, Jesus says there in verse 28, Blessed rather are, the, are those who hear the word of God and what? Keep it. Keep the word of God. It's one thing to hear the word. It's another thing to keep it. Now, it's Mother's Day. Moms, can you testify this morning that your children hear you when you tell them to do something? They're supposed to hear you, right? They have ears. Their ears work. Now, whether or not they do it is really what's at play here. So we know it's one thing to hear. It's a whole other thing to do, to obey, to keep the word. God wants us to hear. His word has graciously been made available to us. His purpose in giving it, however, is why? That we might obey it for our own good and for his glory. This is the point the Bible is making over and over again. Psalmist says this in Psalm 119, verse 1. Blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. What does it mean to walk in the law of the Lord? What does it mean to walk in the law of the Lord? It means you hear and you heed. You take it, you possess it, and you walk in it. It becomes a part of who you are and how you live your life. And so to walk in the law of the Lord requires, necessitates a knowledge of the law and a commitment to obey it. The psalmist goes on to say in verses 5 and 6, Oh, that my ways may be steadfast in keeping your statutes. Then I shall not be put to shame, having my eyes fixed on all your commandments. 
Again, hearing the statutes and the commandments leads us to obey. It's not just he heard them or I heard them. It's I heard and I put them into practice. I heard them and I'm obeying them. I've heard them and I heed them. So the one who hears the word and chooses to obey, that is the one who is blessed. James, the half-brother of Jesus, magnifies this point. Listen to these words in James chapter 1, verses 22 through 25. He says, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in what he does. Blessed in his doing. And so if this is true, here's a question we need to wrestle with. Why are there so many Christians who fail, if not refuse, to obey the word of God? Why is it that we choose to disregard the word of God, choose to disregard to obey the word of God in our lives when the word of God calls us over and over and over again to do it, to act it, to obey it, to apply it, to heed it? Could the reason be that we've become so accustomed, so familiar with the rhythms of God's word that it no longer rings our bells? There was a little girl who was sitting in her first ever Good Friday service. There in that service on Good Friday, you know, they're moving, ramping up to Easter Sunday. And so in that service, the epic story of the crucifixion of Jesus was beautifully read for the congregation. She heard there, she sat in her seat with her parents. She heard about Judas's betrayal of Jesus. She heard about Peter's denial of Jesus. She listened to Pilate's cross-examination of Jesus. And so as she's hearing this, she's, she's picturing all of the things that were taking place. She pictured the crown of thorns upon Jesus' brow. She felt in her own body the beating of the soldiers as they tortured the Lord Jesus. Then, sitting there in that service, she heard the words, and there they crucified him. The emotions began to well up within her, and she buried her face in the lap of her mother sitting next to her. And she began to weep, and she began to voice out her, her sobbing, saying, why did they do it? Why did they do it? Why did they do it? People in the congregation are kind of getting a little nervous about this because they're, they don't understand. We set through this Sunday after Sunday, and every Good Friday we read through the story of the crucifixion. These are normal stories for us. What's up with this young girl who's lost her marbles? Maybe that's a little unfair. Hopefully most people weren't thinking that, but I bet some were. Why was this young girl so emotional about this story? It's because for her, this was not a familiar story. But for the rest in the congregation... It's just the same old thing. And so they couldn't feel it. They couldn't experience it because the rhythms of the gospel, the rhythms of God's word had become too familiar for them. Truth is, for us today, lifelong familiarity with the rhythms of the gospel can dull us to its trembling realities. 
so that we listen to it with the same vitality that we do listening to the morning weather report. How, how jazzed up do you get about the morning weather report? Unless it doesn't fit your fancy. Unless it's, it doesn't uh, jive with your plans for the day. Usually it's just the same old thing. Well, it, it's sunny in 80. Why? Because it's, it's summertime in Virginia. It's the normal everyday routine. May we not be so familiar with the gospel that it no longer leads us to obedience. No, we need to hear God's word. We need to feel the sting of God's word. We need to feel the, it bearing down on our souls that leads us to obedience and heedance in our life because that is where blessing is found. There's a third thing that it shows us. The one who is blessed refuses to hold on to sin. See in verses 33 through 36, a broad array of applications that Jesus offered to those who were listening to drive home the impact of hearing and obeying God's word. He talks about how the eye is like a lamp of one's body. Think about this. If the, high, if the eye is healthy and the he- eye is bright, in other words, if it's able to take in light, then the body is healthy. Because there's light within it. On the other hand, if the eye is unhealthy and dark, meaning it cannot receive light, means it's blind, then the the body is dark and unhealthy. So for the believer, hearing and obeying the word of God results in an ever-increasing desire to distance oneself from sin. Why would we, who have known forgiveness and transformation in our life, that Jesus has radically changed, he's altered everything about our lives. He's taken us from darkness and put us into light. Why would we ever desire to go back to those things? That's what he's talking about here. That's what he's wrestling with here. So as we are hearing and obeying, it ought to lead to an ever-increasing desire to walk away from that and to walk toward the light found in Christ. What is this? Theologically, we call this sanctification. It's the idea of being conformed more and more into the image of Jesus Christ. It's been said that sanctification, hear this, is a life of Christ-centered choices made evident in loving obedience to God. How do you become more sanctified? You say yes to the Word of God today and tomorrow and the next day and the day after that and the following week and the following month and the next years and on and on in your life as you say yes to the word of God in your life and you walk in obedience to it what happens is not only are you positionally righteous in Jesus having been redeemed forgiven of your sin in Christ but now you are in practice walking away from that guilty lifestyle that once was who you are and that happens as you say yes to God's word and no to sin in your life. Are you guys awake this morning? Just wondering, just wondering. Um, you're kind of quiet, no amens. Just wondering if I was still connecting with you. Apparently I've connected with three of you this morning. There's a fourth thing. The one who is blessed receives the gospel light. Look at verse 35. Therefore, Be careful lest the light in you be darkness. If then your whole body is full of light, having no part dark, it will be woely, holy, bright, 
as when a lamp with its rays gives you light. Therefore, be careful lest the light in you be darkness. What? What? Two competing ideas. How can light be darkness? How can darkness be light? What in the world, Jesus, are you saying here? How is this possible? Well, he's referring to the condition of one's eye. A healthy eye, remember, allows light in, which enables sight. Don't you love going to the eye doctor and they shine that bright light in you, in your eyes, so they can see the back of your retina, and all you can see is like you're staring at the sun? Like, hold your eye open, look here at the top of my eye, and they're like shooting a laser into your eye. That's what it feels like. Or am I the only person that feels that? It's a recent experience that I had, which is an annual experience that I have. So we know about light. We know how it comes in the eye. We know how it enables sight. So an unhealthy eye does not allow light in. It prevents light. It, there's a disconnect there. Light, we know technically light is coming in, or at least unless you have some sort of cataract or something like that, literally prevents light. But what happens if you're blind, light may come in through your lens, but there's a disconnect on the backside with the retina. So that's the point here, is it's preventing light to shine in your life. That's the unhealthy eye. So Jesus here is referring to one's spiritual condition. Again, he may be using a physical condition, but its overtones are spiritual. So a healthy eye recognizes the gospel light, and what does it do? It receives it more and more and more. The unhealthy spiritual eye refuses to see the light of the gospel. Consequently, it's a rejection of it. So for believers who have received this light, Hearing, obeying, and refusing to hold on to sin, what does that do? It ensures the light continues to shine in and through your life. This is not what it means to walk in the is this not what it means to walk in the gospel? See, we're not just saved by the gospel, we continue to live in the gospel. I want Jesus' light, I want his word to shine brighter and brighter and brighter in my life. I want to continue to receive that truth in my life. I don't want to just sh shut it off. I don't want my fire insurance. I would make a strong theological argument that if you just want fire insurance, in other words, you just want to not go to hell when you die, you're probably not a follower of Jesus Christ. Because you want to, as a Christian, walk in truth, not just get into the heaven by the skin of your teeth. You don't want to just ride the fence long enough and then jump into heaven right at the last minute. No, those of us who have been changed by the Lord Jesus Christ, we've heard his word. We have a desire to obey his word. We have a desire to refuse to hold on to sin. And we are leaning into the word of God, the truth of the God, that is the light of the gospel. And so for us, we read and hear the word. Why? Because we want to know God. We Obey the word of God. Why? Because we want to please God. And we turn from our sin because we want to walk with God in fellowship without any hindrances or distance. I use this phrase a lot, walking at a guilty distance. How many times in our life is that an ap applicable description of our relationship with God? Oh, we're a Christian and we are in fellowship with Jesus, but we're just trailing behind. We don't want to trail behind. God doesn't want you to trail behind. He wants to walk in step with you. And for us to do that, we must hear, obey, and refuse to hold on to sin in our life. And when we do those things, God promises, 
promises us in his word to give us more light. Where does that light come from? Right here. Psalm 119, verse 105, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. You see, when we're hearing the word of God, we're obeying the word of God, we're turning from our sin, we're leaning into the light of God's word, what happens? He gives us more light. We're able to make better decisions. We're able to know his will for our life. All of those things happen, not because we have conjured up some God out of a genie bottle. No, we're walking in fellowship with him in his word and in obedience to that word. And so the blessing Jesus wants his people to experience in this life comes down to not a bunch of gold in the bank account. It's not a bunch of vehicles in the driveway. It's not the biggest house on the street. It's not any of those things that we would look at from a humanistic standpoint. Here's what God wants you to experience as his blessing, his presence, and his power. And how can you know the presence of God and the power of God devoid from the word of God, obedience to it, and walking in ongoing sanctification? You can't. You can't do that. That's what God wants for us today. And today on Mother's Day, that's what he wants for moms. That's what he wants for families. We just have these parents dedicate themselves and their children unto the Lord. What does the Lord want them to experience? His blessing, his presence, and his power in his life, in their lives. That comes through hearing, obeying the word of God, turning from sin and turning to him. So how can we be careful in pursuing these things. Because if we go back to verse 35, Jesus says, be careful lest the light in you be darkness. How can we carefully examine our lives and take steps to move in this direction? Let me give you three actions and we will land the plane. I know our tech folks love when I say that statement up there. They send memes apparently to one another when I say that statement. Some of these guys are, are telling on them, so I'm finding these things out. I wonder what we'll get today. We're going to land the plane. Number one, regular prayer. If you want to hear, obey, turn from sin, lean into the gospel, you've got to consistently pray in your life. You see, we must see to it that we confess our sins continually and ask the Lord to keep our eyes clear. Lord Jesus, Help me to see your word today. Lord Jesus, help me to see my need for it. Lord Jesus, help me to understand it, to apply it to my life. We need to come to the Lord in prayer regularly in our lives. Number two, have a healthy inspection over your lives. So we must be careful to make time to be alone with God, asking him in that time to reveal to us the dark spaces of our lives. Because we need to understand and we need to own the fact that we are deception, deceptive. We deceive ourselves. Sometimes we can lead ourselves to believe or make ourselves believe that we're actually in a better place spiritually than we really are. Well, pastor, I go to church, I'm in small group, and, and, I, and I read my Bible sometimes, and I pray sometimes, and, but I, you know, I'm not as bad as so-and-so down the street or so-and-so who's in the church. And so we can make these games, we can come up with these these situations where we make ourselves look better than we actually are. And so what are the practices that ought to be uh, often in your life is just healthy introspection. Father, open up my heart. Better yet, open my eyes that I may see my heart. Help me to see those, those blind spots that I can't see. 
Lord, Lord, bring others into my life that can speak graciously and truthfully and lovingly and, and tell me about myself. Isn't that the purpose of the church? Isn't that one of the blessings and the benefits of the local church, especially those that we're in small group with, that, that we can speak into one another's lives because we're known and we are knowing of others? Third action, have an expectant reading of God's word. Be expectant. See, we must ask God to shine light on us through his word. God, speak to me. See, I know nothing of life. I know nothing about how to raise my family. I know nothing of how to live this life and to be a good person and do good things. I know nothing of significance if it's not part of your word. Lord, open my eyes that I may see. I expect you to do that. Let there be an expectation as you approach the word of God every single day. That young boy that was living with his grandfather in the side of the mountain, the Swiss Alps, shouted out that one day when he was not being so good, I hate you. Back from the valley and the rock faces came that reverberating, I hate you, I hate you, I hate you. I hope that echo this morning helps you to see and helps you to understand that you will receive back in direct proportion to what you put in. If you don't put much into your Christian life, then you shouldn't expect a whole lot back. You say, well, I, I professed Jesus when I was such and such an age, and, and, and I've been in Christ since then, but I haven't really done much there. Well, why is that? Is it because you've just never put much into that, and, and you truly are a Christian? Or maybe it's just because you had an emotional decision way back when, and, and the reason you've not put anything into it is because you never had a truly life-transforming experience to begin with. I don't know what the reality is in your life, but here's the principle I want you to go home with. What you get back is in direct proportion to what you put in. Work out your own salvation, Paul says, with fear and trembling. Now, you're not creating your salvation. You're not conjuring up your salvation. No, it's the work of God in you. But if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, man, let that thing be worked out. If I want my shoulder to get back and to be better than it's ever been, What's going to have to happen? Constant, daily rehabilitation for the next several months. Is it fun? Absolutely not. Uh, one of my oldest daughter's good friends was over at our house. She spent the night the night before, and uh, they came down from upstairs at some point yesterday, and there I am laying in the living room floor with my arm supposedly up over my head, and I'm grimacing and grunting and fussing. Why? Because it hurt like the dickens, but it was good for my, my shoulder. I had to do it. I got to put that work in if I'm ever going to get anything out of it on the back end. And so this time next year, this pastor, Lord willing, will be breaking some records, Jack, on the old bench press. And Jack and I used to talk. We've talked a lot of, about lifting over the years, and that's probably how I got in this condition. So I'm expecting that I can get back there but be healthier than ever. But it all is proportionate on the work that I put in. In. So today, hear the word of God, obey the word of God, turn from your sin, walk in the light of the gospel, and this is what will happen. The blessing of God will rest on your life. Now, that's not monetary, that's not all the things you maybe want it to be, but his presence will be there and his power. Do you want that today? Some of you this morning, you need the presence of God because you've never come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Today, I'm going to invite you to come. 
If that's you this morning, as we go into a time of response, I want you to walk this aisle. I want you to just say, Pastor, I need to know Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. I'd love to get you with one of our elders, one of our encouragers, and give them the opportunity to walk through the gospel with you as you make the most important decision of your life. Some of you need to come and say, Pastor, I've never been baptized. I want to take that step, that first step of obedience. Pastor, we're ready to join the church. I want to get into that process. You come this morning. Some of you are believers here, and what you need to do is maybe sit down there or kneel down at your seat, go to someone else, come here to these steps, and just pray to the Lord and say, Father, I have not been hearing, obeying, and turning from my sin the way I need to. And this morning, I confess that. A sin, and I repent of it, and I want to walk in newness. I want to walk in a new direction today. So let's pray and let's respond. Father, in the name of Jesus, we come before you. We thank you for your goodness, your grace. Thank you that you continue to call us to yourself. And I pray this morning that we would answer that call. Lord, that call comes through your word. It comes from your word. And we've heard from your word today. I pray that our ears have been opened. I I pray that our heart has received. Lord, I pray that we're believing what we've seen in the word of God. I pray we'd obey it. For some, that means this morning that they need to step out and say yes to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. I pray you would give them faith to do that, the obedience to do that, the desire to do that. For others in this room who are believers, maybe walking at a guilty distance, that just simply means confessing that they haven't been walking as closely with you as they should. That there is a distance there, and it's a guilty distance, and yet we know that there's forgiveness. And so may they come just in your grace and begin to walk in step with you once again. Father, whatever it is, maybe there's fear in a person's life or a life situation, whatever it is, Father, would you just help us to hear your word and to obey your word, to turn from our sin and to turn to the Lord Jesus Christ because that is where the blessing is, your presence and your power. And we thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand to your feet? As Trevor and Janelle lead us this morning. If you need to respond in any way, this is the time to do that. And so you, you respond as the Lord leads. We trust that you and your family have been encouraged and blessed today. If you have just made a decision to follow Jesus, or if you would like to pray with someone, or even if you want to know more about our church, please contact our church office or send us an email. We are looking forward to seeing you next week here in person or online. See you then.